All right. Um, I don't know how many of you got caught up in all the media thing of the U.S. elections um, this past, I can't say week. It's really dragged on for however long, you know. I kind of like China's approach. We just appoint a new president. There it is, you know. There's uh, not billions spent. And, um, but anyway, I was uh, asking the Lord because I'm very concerned about the United States. And, of course, America does influence hugely New Zealand and many other nations in the world. So what happens there it should be a vital concern to us as believers, just as we're told to pray for those in authority and we are commanded whatever your party affiliation is, Labor National, whatever else, you know, whoever's in power, we're told to pray for them, that they will have wisdom, they will have, uh, you know, be able to govern righteously and that kind of thing. And you may not like the politics per se, but so I was asking the Lord, who's going to win the election? In America. And I, I can't say that the Lord reveals that all the time, but, but he shared with me, he said, this is what he said, Obama will be re-elected, the groan is not yet loud enough. Obama will be re-elected, the groan is not yet loud enough. Now, President Obama is a likable guy, but he's the most liberal president the U.S. has had in many a decade. It's passed incredibly unrighteous legislation. And my personal preference would have been for Romney to get in power because at least he's a moral conservative. But you say, oh, he's a Mormon. And you know what? That didn't freak me out either because I believe there's a revival coming to the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. I, abs I felt it 20 years ago. Don't look at me. Some of you are frowning. Cheer up. Loosen up. Lighten up. Come on. Let's have fun in church. <laughs> Because, um, you know, I, th I thought I was off the planet because um, about, I think it was about 10, 15 years ago, the Lord said, I'm going to bring a revival, a, a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and a, and a massive move of my spirit in the Mormon church and among the Jehovah Witnesses. And I pretty much kept that to myself and just from time to time I've prayed. And then a couple of weeks ago, I get a newsletter from Rick Joyner, a prophet in America, and he just happens to mention this issue that God told him 20 years ago that there would be a massive move of the Spirit among the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses and that the Lord said to him, they are like the Samaritans of old. You know anything about the Samaritans and the Jews? They really hated one another. The Jews looked down on the Samaritans. They're half-baked. You know, they've got half-paganistic views and they've mixed in some of our Jewish beliefs. And, and so the Jews despised them, but not Jesus. He sat down at the well with a Samaritan woman and led a whole village to the Lord. And, and then, you know, later on, Philip goes down to Samaria, the capital of the Samaritans, and he preaches and there's a revival and the whole city turns to Christ. And, and I just thank God's after that. So I would have preferred Romney, but that was not the issue. So Obama's in, and so we need to pray that God will help him govern well because it will affect us. But the bit that caught my attention was the groan is not yet loud enough. Okay, what are you really saying there, Lord? You know, when do we groan? Well, to get you in the emotion of it, let me take you back to the World Cup final last year. All Blacks versus France. All right. How many watched that game? How many groaned the entire game? Oh, no. Are we going to win? Are they going to do it to us again? Nine, eight. Oh, and we were groaning, weren't we? And imagine if we'd lost. 
Oh, the groan would have been enormous. Oh, no. But it turned to jubilation and joy. Hallelujah. But I'm just trying to get you in the mood for what the groan is like. Ah, oh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a groan of pain. And when a people turn from God, they will continue some time in the blessings of God that have been on them. But slowly but surely, the blessing and the favor will lift off. And in the Western world in the 1960s, we began to turn from God. You know, it was the hippie movement, the free love, and all of that stuff. stuff. And ever since those last 50 years, we've had rising secular humanism, displacing God, shutting God out of just about everything, so that now we are really a secular society. And we've moved from our Judeo-Christian roots. When I was growing up in New Zealand as a boy, I said, saying yesterday, you know, about 50% of people would go to church. There was a strong Christian influence in the nation, and that sure ain't how it is right now. And it's like a big cruise, it's about like a big ship, you know. Um, you, you start to turn direction, but the momentum carries you for some time. And so for some time, you know, the blessing and favor of God that's been on a people and on a nation because they've followed after God and, and uh, you know, they've, they've tried their best to honor God. And so God favors them and God blesses them. And certainly the United States of America, you know, for many years, they were the leading nation on the earth and they, were, they had incredible surpluses. But now they're the nation, one of the nations that has the greatest debt of any nation in the world. I mean, it's in trillions of dollars. Something's gone wrong. When you start shutting God out, when you start turning God out, trouble comes, pain comes. And when the pain is great enough, the groan begins to rise up. Without pain, there's no groan. And so God has to allow pain to create a groan in people's hearts. An example in the Word of God is Israel. You know, they were 70 people, a family of 70 people that went into Egypt with um, Jacob and the 12 sons. And 400 or so years later, they're a nation of 2 million people. And for many, many, probably, I don't know how many centuries, but they were blessed. They were favored. They were welcome in Egypt. But then a, a pharaoh arose and they were no longer welcome and he began to enslave them and they became a nation of slaves. And it says in Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25, then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. See, he heard their groan. He heard their cry. And soon after this, Moses was born. And you know the story, he grows up in Pharaoh's courts and then he kills an Egyptian and then he spends 40 years in the wilderness. And by the time he's 80, God says, now I want you to go and set my people free. And you know, there's an awful lot of time between the initial groan and Moses turning up to deliver. I'm glad this is a day of acceleration, you know, 80 years, whoa. 
God is fast-tracking a whole lot of stuff. And he raises up a deliverer, and he leads them out of Egypt, as we were talking this morning, leads them into the promised land, and there they conquer all their enemies. And, uh, and the generation that saw God's miracles in the desert, that generation kept serving God. But when a new generation arose, they started turning from God, and they started worshiping the idols of the land. And we read in the book of Judges, the book of Judges is a very sad disturbing book you know it comes after the book of joshua which is all about amazing conquest and the, the israelites go in and they conquer all their enemies it's an awesome book but then you read in the book of judges and it just has a verse somewhere and that says each person did what seemed right in their own eyes that's kind of like the world we're living in today eh? and everybody just does what they think is the right thing and there's no absolutes anymore in the book of judges it's disturbing and and it just says here in in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshipping the gods of the people around them. This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Does that sound a bit like today? Because the groan is increasing. There are enemies of recession, liberal morals, false religion, division and strife and natural disasters that have been sweeping many nations. I'm not saying God is directly causing all those things because we live in a fallen world and Satan is active and much of the horrible stuff that does happen is through people committing sin by their choice of free will, the devil being very active, and the fact that we do at the moment live in a fallen world where disasters take place, but God is over all, and he does send judgments, and I don't believe the things that we're seeing are all from the hand of God, but he's permitting them all, and they're what I would call judgments of discipline, not judgments of wrath, because I've met some prophetic people who think like God's really angry, and he just keeps bashing people and judging them, and he's not like that at all. God is a merciful God, not wanting any to perish, but because he's a loving father, he will send discipline upon nations because he's not just the father of the Christians, he's the father of all nations because all the families of the earth stem from him. So God is a father over all mankind and he will allow judgments of discipline to come to wake us up, to turn us back. And I think we're seeing some of those judgments of discipline. They're not judgments of wrath and punishment that you read about them in the book of Revelation. And there will be a time in the earth where God releases those judgments of his wrath because time for salvation will have run out and judgment day will have come. That day is not yet here. So I don't agree with people that run around saying, well, these are God's judgments of wrath. No, they're not. They're they're the loving disciplines of an awesome heavenly father wanting to turn nations back to himself. But he will permit judgments of discipline that bring pain. You know, the Bible says all discipline is painful rather than pleasant but it, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And nations are groaning. The United States is groaning. Europe, we go up to the UK for a, 
two to three months every year. And so we're right on Europe's back door. They are groaning. They're in pain. Things aren't going well. The Middle East is groaning. My ancestors were from Lebanon. I have a particular heart for the Middle East. And the Middle East is groaning. You ask any Syrian, they're groaning. Ask an Egyptian Coptic Christian who's now having to face persecution like they've never faced before because they've got an Islamist government in power. They're groaning. They estimate, by the way, today is a day, world day of prayer for the persecuted church. Did you know that? It's the world day of prayer today for the persecuted church. They estimate there are 100 million Christians today suffering persecution in the world, dying for their faith or being persecuted in some way. And uh, there's a groan. These nations are groaning. And when we forsake God's ways, there's a price to pay. Pain increases. Things don't go smoothly anymore. Trouble comes. Economic trouble, moral trouble, governmental trouble, civil war. You name it, it comes. And when the pain is severe enough, when the, when the pain gets t- tough enough, when it gets hurtful enough, it causes a groan to be loud enough so that God in heaven hears. Because the record of the book of Judges is that whenever they cried to the Lord for help, he heard them. Judges 3.9. But when Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a man to rescue them. You can read the book of Judges and you'll see time and time again, they get into bondage. They forget God. They worship other gods. Their pain increases. Their bondage increases. Their groan increases. And eventually they cry out to God. And God in his absolute faithfulness raises up deliverance. Judges 4.3, here's one example. Sisera ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. I'm trying to figure out why did it take 20 years for them to cry out for help? Like, duh, the first five years would have been enough for me. But it's like the world today. We don't recognize that decades ago we abandoned God and we're wondering why now we're in trouble. And the news is it's not going to get any better till nations start turning back to Jesus. But the people that know their God shall do exploits. We don't have to fear. We may be caught up in the, in the pain and the bondage and the judgments of discipline that God releases upon nations, but God's people have a security in Him. He is our anchor of hope. We have an unshakable kingdom. And the only groan you and I should be groaning is a groan of compassion as we begin to realize the pain that people are in in our nation because they've turned from God and they're worshiping every other kind of God and wondering why there's such oppression on our nation and such breakdown in families and such a lot of torment. Is it going to take 20 years in New Zealand? Is it going to take another 20 years in Europe and America? I hope not. But the Lord said to me, the groan is not yet loud enough. And I think, you know, I, I'm, I mean, how do you respond to that? I just say, I'm going to pray for President Obama that God will do a breakthrough 
and that, Lord, Lord, you'll help him govern in righteousness. Because, you know, just because God declares a thing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. He said through the prophet Hosea to Israel, I'm going to send an earthquake. He says, God, don't send an earthquake because we're a small nation. It'll devastate us. All right, I won't. Like there are times where if the people of God pray, you know, God will say, okay, I won't. So there's still hope. We must pray. But if for any reason a government, a people, a nation does not respond, they will continue a downward slide and the pain will increase and the discomfort will increase and the groan eventually becomes loud. Our cry to heaven must get louder. That's why the church must wake up. Jonah was asleep in a boat in a storm. He was a prophet. He had the word of the Lord. And the sailors came and woke him up and said, don't you care we're going to drown? Pray to your God. Maybe your God will hear because we're praying to our gods and nobody's answering. And Jonah was the man that had the true God. He worshipped Jehovah. He said, well, actually, he said, I think the problem is me. I'm running away from God. I think God might be trying to get my attention. And they throw him overboard, and you know the rest of the story. I want to ask Jonah one day, what was it like to be three days and nights in the stomach of a whale? Like, it can't, not, cannot have been comfortable. The church can no longer afford to be asleep in the storms that are assailing the nations of the world. We have to wake up because we have the word of the Lord. And you say, well, I don't have the word of the Lord. What are you expecting me to do? Go down on the street tomorrow and prophesy to everyone? No, we'll leave that to Melody. She's good at that. (laughs) But you can lift your voice in prayer. You can cry out in compassion for our nation and the nations of the earth that they get the idea Because you see, God will hear the groan of the oppressed and he'll be moved with compassion, but it's not until he hears the groan of his people that he will act. Because we have power before the throne of God. It's called prayer. Ask whatever you will, it will be given you. And so I believe God is waking the church up so that he can hear our cry and begin to bring change. Dr. Edwin Orr, a great um, uh, studier of revival, says whenever God is ready to do something new with his people, he always sets them praying. I believe it's time to wake up. We were in, um, earlier this year, we were in Australia um, in a little town, was it? town of about 100,000 north of Brisbane called Kabulcha. Anyone been to Kabulcha? You've been. A few of you have been to Kabulcha. And um, so we've ministered at a church there a number of times. And so we got there. We flew in on a Thursday. We drove up. And Friday, we're just fasting and praying because we were doing a seminar starting Friday night, running all day Saturday. And I'm struggling. Like I am just, I don't know what's happened to me. I am feeling sluggish, I'm feeling heavy of spirit, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling like death warmed up, I'm feeling like I don't want to be here, I'd rather be home, 
and I'm feeling all this stuff. And I think, I say to Greta, I don't understand this. It's only a three-hour flight. It can't be jet lag. What is this? And, you know, as we, as we prayed, the Lord said, it's a python spirit. Now, I knew about the python spirit because um, many years ago, the Lord revealed what that thing is, and it's found in Acts 16, 16. Remember when a Paul meets a slave girl, and um, I think it's Thessalonica, and she has the ability to tell fortunes and predict the future, because she has, it says she had a spirit. And Paul cast it out, and a riot erupted, etc. But in the original Greek language of the Bible was written in, it, it doesn't say she had a spirit. It says she had a python. A python is a particular demonic spirit that is a spirit of false prophecy, false divination. And there was a place um, in Greece where they had the center of this false prophetic movement. And uh, the python was the spirit over that thing. And in the natural, what a python does to kill its prey is it just coils around the prey and it squeezes really tight. And every time you take a breath, because you have to inhale, right, it squeezes so you can't exhale. And before long, you can't breathe. And that's how the python kills its prey. It suffocates it by literally squeezing the life breath out of it. Now, I've known about that spirit and been alert to it in times past, but it kind of just snuck up on me, and I'm thinking like, well, I haven't done anything. I haven't committed any sin. Why is this thing afflicting me? And, and the Lord just said, it's a territorial spirit in this town, in this city. It's over the place. And so when we began to resist it, say, we're not going to bow to you, we're not going to come under you, in the name of Jesus, be gone, it just lifted. And I felt alert, and I felt sharp, and I felt my joy returning, and I felt divine energy, and we went into the seminar, and we had a great time. And that Friday night, I just shared that experience, because I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to share. Hey, this is what I was feeling today, and there could be others of you battling that, because I sense like we're walking around the town, and it looks like there's a whole lot of people in some kind of drug stupor. And they all, at the end of the meeting, a number of them came running up to Greta and me. And Greta had felt it the year before, I think, honey. You'd felt that spirit over that place. They came running up and said, do you know what the name Kabulcha means? No, I have no idea. It's Aboriginal for carpet snake. Oh, good. Do you know what a carpet snake is? No, it's a python. This place was named this because there was such a concentration of pythons in the area. And actually, the symbol on our city council flag is a python. And that symbol is on so much to do with the city. Hello. And it's the spirit in connection with religious spirits that tries to sedate us, crush the life breath out of us, put us to sleep, intimidate us. It's an intimidating spirit. It sets limitations around our lives so that we're not free, that we can't move, that we can't breathe. It'll try and squeeze out anything from you that pertains to the life of God, the call of God. It's a spirit of false prophecy because it's trying to dictate a false prophetic thing, destiny over your life. When God has spoken thus and so, it's coming in with the opposite, trying to say your destiny will be this. And so many people in the Western church 
I'm not saying a demonized by it, but that thing can attack. And we're at war against the nominal, against the average, against the mediocre. That spirit causes people to be sedated, comfortable, and sleepy. In our Christian life, it deceives them into accepting an imitation of the real thing. It resists us pressing into God. It's an almost experience in God. You almost got healed. You almost encountered God. I almost worshipped Him tonight. I almost felt His presence. We need a full experience of God. That thing will intimidate us and say, if you go further into God, you know, if, if at church you go down this track, you're just going to get disappointed. And, uh, you know, people are going to think you're fanatical. And, hey, just play it cool. You know, don't be too zealous. Don't be too extreme. And the Bible calls, says this about it. In the last days, people accept a form of godliness that lacks power. And then we wonder why the nations around us start crumbling. It's really unbelief. Puts people to sleep. It's gotten into so many churches in the Western world and lulled us into a sedated, sleepy passivity where we come along, we have a nice program, we have a nice message, we have some coffee, we go home, and that's it. I'm sick of that. I mean, I like the coffee part, but I'm sick of the other. I'm kind of sick of that. Anybody else sick of that around here? About half of you. Well, maybe others of you start getting sick real quick in that sense. And what we've got is a bunch of Christians. We've got a bunch of people, and I've been there. We've got a bunch of people that when a word from heaven comes, that challenges, that is designed to wake us up, we go, ooh, that's a bit intense. That's a bit extreme. I just want to come here and sleep on a Sunday, thank you very much. I just want to sit in my seat and pretend I'm being really spiritual, but inside I, I just want to go home and have my dinner and watch TV. Many settle for an imitation. Spiritual eyes and ears are glazed over. It's the glazed look that I saw in Kabulcha. There's an indifference to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Ah, uh, why is he praying for healing? I just want to get home by. No, oh no, why are, they, why are they having an altar call, calling people forward for prayer, for crying out loud? You know, we've got to be out of here at 6.30, don't we, or? There's an indifference to the moving of the Spirit. Ho-hum. Oh, people have fallen on the floor. Big deal. Oh, gemstones are turning up. Oh, that's kind of crazy. Wow, oil's appearing on people's hands. Greta had it on her hand this morning in our bedroom. She's preparing and there's oil all over her hands. Never happens to me. Oops. Just get her to lay hands on me, smear me. We can get indifferent. And we ought to be excited. One of the things we had, I've really had to discipline my life is, you know, as you go into the supernatural, you start seeing more and more happen. And some of the little lesser things, you start thinking, oh, that's ordinary, and it's never ordinary. 
And you have to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness to the Lord, celebrating all that he does, both little and small, because then he will entrust you with more. Spiritual dullness. It really is sorcery and witchcraft beguiling the church. And meanwhile, while the church is lulled into the sleepy, glazy, sedated position, the world is going deeper and deeper into bondage. Because we were called to be salt and light. We were called to bring the kingdom to the world and influence every sphere of society. And I thank God that he's waking his people up right around the world. And there's three ways you wake up a sleeping person. Is that right? Or the, there might be more, but I'm talking about the normal ways. You can kind of shake them awake. Come on, wake up. Or the alarm clock goes. Or I like the story of Sleeping Beauty. She got woken up with a kiss from the prince. Isn't that cute? Or you can pour water over people. Now, that's extreme. But the Lord's doing exactly that. There are shakings going on in the world tonight. And we've got to have our, the, the glazing taken from our eyes to see what God is doing. He is trying to wake the world up, but he's got to wake the church up first. And he's shaking. Uh, and we're, getting, we're in the rumble, aren't we? We're in the same. We, you know, we're caught up in the shakings that are going on in the world. And, and, uh, and it's designed. God is trying to wake us up. And then, and then there's the alarm. That's the prophetic voices. That's the trumpet sound. That's God speaking from heaven through prophetic voices. And there are many rising up right now throughout the earth saying, come on, heaven is wanting to invade. The church is meant to wake up. The world is needing the gospel like as never before. And can it be turned? You bet it can be turned. Because at the deepest, darkest times in history, that's exactly when God has moved in power. Last year, we were in the city of Bristol in England. We went to John Wesley's chapel. And I stood in the pulpit that John Wesley had stood in. What an amazing thing. It's like halfway between the floor and the ceiling because they've got a mezzanine and, I guess they, and this big gigantic thing and you're standing here. And I can imagine John Wesley preaching. But you know what? When he came on the scene, England was dark. It was depraved. It had abandoned its Christian roots. It was, there was depravity galore. They were heading for a French revolution. But Wesley and some others began to say, we hear the groan, we hear the cry. And they began to cry out to God for a move of the Spirit in that nation. And he began to answer the call. And he went all over that nation and saw revival break out and tons of people saved. And England didn't have a French Revolution. France has been one of the hardest countries in the world for the gospel because after the revolution, they declared they were no longer a Christian nation. They didn't want anything to do with that. They were a secular nation. God is even waking France up right now. God's starting to move. And I don't know about you, but, you know, thank God for the prophetic voices that are like alarm clocks. Thank God for the shakings, but I'd rather be kissed awake, wouldn't you, than shaken awake and alarmed awake. So what on earth are you talking about? 
I'm talking about what I was talking about this morning, intimacy with Jesus. See, the Lord is drawing near to his church to love his people. He's drawing near to kiss his bride. And one kiss from the prince wakes up Sleeping Beauty because that's who the church is. There's a beauty of the presence of God on our lives. There's a beauty of his glory on us. But in many parts, at least in the Western world, the church has been Sleeping Beauty. And it's time Sleeping Beauty woke up and became living, walking around, breathing beauty so that people saw the beauty of God's presence upon our lives. So they they thought, wow, what is this that you carry and that there's a beauty of God's goodness that we show them and they get awakened themselves to consider that there's another way. There's an amazing awakening happening around the world today. There's an army of no-names that are rising up. As Greta said over the weekend, the era of the every God is after every believer to play their part. Awakening means that we wake and cry out for the kingdom to come. We take his kingdom power into the world and the greatest spiritual tsunami the world has ever seen will come. There will be a massive harvest. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I mean already today, I mean today 200,000 people have become Christians today around the world because every day 200,000 people come to Christ. That's what they estimate are the statistics. 30,000 alone in China. Incredible. But we need more. And uh, there is a harvest that God wants to reach, maybe affecting billions of people. But he needs his church to wake up. And I'm just going to close with this last story. We were um, in the UK last year down the south of England in uh, Devon and uh, staying at a little seaside village. And We'd had a bit of a break, but on the last day we chose to fast and pray. And we, um, I was just lying on the bed listening to worship music, had my iPod on, had it plugged in, just enjoying God's presence, just soaking in His presence, just loving Him. And all of a sudden I was taken into a vision and I saw the sky. It was so beautiful and blue, cerulean and vividly blue. And then as I watched, it changed to the most intense, incredible orange color I'd ever seen. I thought, wow, I am looking at the most incredible, I don't know whether it was a sunrise or sunset that I've ever seen in my life. I was seeing it in vision form and it was amazing. And and then I uh, discerned that it was a sunrise because I saw the orb of the sun just begin to appear above the horizon and it just kept rising and rising. And I thought, this is a sunrise. And then as I continued to watch, I saw that it wasn't the sun, but it was the face of Jesus. You know, the Bible says, uh, for those who fear his name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And as I continued to watch, I saw his face and the rest of his body begin to ascend from the horizon. And he kept rising and rising until his body was uh, sort of suspended between heaven and earth. And he looked glorious. His face shone like the sun and his robes were beautiful and white, just like John describes in the book of Revelation. I go, wow, this is amazing, Lord. And I watched, and as I watched, an army of God's people started to march out, literally from his belly. They started to proceed from him, this mighty army of people. And I said, who are these? And the Holy Spirit, or the Lord said to me through the Holy Spirit, these are my army of awakened ones. 
and there was masses of them. They just kept coming and coming. And every time uh, they, they marched out, I saw the hands of Jesus. They were aflame with fire. And every time uh, a few marched out, fire jumped from his hands onto them. They became engulfed with fire. And they kept marching. Then I turned around in the vision and I saw, where are they going? And I saw the, the globe of the world. You know, the blue and the white, but it was in darkness. It was a dark world. And I watched the army march into it. And as they marched into it, there were explosions and flashes of light and fire over the entire globe. The, the entire globe was not engulfed with life or light or fire, but the, there were flashes everywhere in every nation of the world. And I, and I felt like the Lord saying, that is where I'm taking my church. I'm awakening my people and I'm raising them up to be an army of awakened ones on fire for me who will go into their world and take my light and my fire with them. And you know, it was an amazing thing. I, I, kept, you know, I kept the worship going on my iPod and it just clicked over to Awakening by Chris Tomlin. I'm going, okay, Lord, <laughs> that's how, what's the odds of that? He really is bringing awakening. And you and I cannot afford to be bewitched by that python spirit that has sedated so many of God's people and put us to sleep. It's time to throw its coils off because all that stuff is under our feet. Is that right? Through the power of the name of Jesus, you don't need to be demonically afflicted. You don't need to be demonically oppressed. You just need to know what's happening and turn. And the Bible says in James 4, 7, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. And if you've been sedated, if you've been sleepy, if you've been indifferent, if you've been under the spell of that thing, accepting religious form but not being fully awake, you need to say, God, tonight, will you wake me up? I'm not going to come under the spell of that thing anymore. That devil is not going to determine a false destiny, a false prophetic journey for me. I'm going to come under your true destiny. I'm going to be part of that army and what you want me to do in the earth. I'm not my own, Lord. I'm bought with a price. I owe you my life. You're not your own to please yourself. Did you know that? You're a servant of Jesus. You've got to follow him. You've got to take up your cross daily and follow him. It's time for namby-pamby Christianity to be put aside. It's time for self-centered, half-pie, lukewarm Christianity to be buried. It's time for God's people to get some fire and get some love in us and get some passion back in us for Jesus and for the lost world and to arise as that army. Hallelujah. It's time to throw off the coils of that python spirit and say, no more will you put me to sleep. I am fully awake. Hallelujah. I'm hearing the trumpet. I'm hearing the shakings. And Lord, I'm receiving the kiss. Come on, we're going to stand and sing awakening.